Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing so well, Tim. If I was doing any better, I would be James Renner. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. And speaking of James Renner, we have him on the show as a guest today in this episode. It's been a while. Every time we have him on, he sort of brings this information about the Moore Murray case that is kind of just... Hard to believe a lot of times, Lance, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's the story with Renner. That's like his M.O. He'll bring this information. He's been doing it for years. He'll bring this information. We initially sort of scratch our heads and say, that's kind of a stretch, Renner. And over the course of months and sometimes over the course of years, this information proves to be, if not entirely accurate, 99.9% accurate, 
you know, sometimes it slips down to the 97% accurate, but James Renner in the background is hustling like a worker bee. He is making things happen and, and always on top of it. And if, what you read in his blog is like the tip of the iceberg. That's right. And check out his blog at moramurraymystery.com. And of course, he wrote the book, True Crime Addict, How I Lost Myself in the Mysterious Disappearance of Maura Murray that came out in 2016. And Lance, he's moved on to some other cases. Obviously, he still keeps up on Maura's case pretty frequently, but he is also done some other projects he started the porch light project he's working on this case of lisa pruitt and he's got his own podcast called the philosophy of crime indeed james renner is one of the hardest working people in the business he does speak about the lisa pruitt murder and he has a website lisa mystery.com and pruitt is spelled p-r-u-e-t-t lisa mystery.com and He's tackled this unsolved murder, which happened on September 14th, 1990, and Lisa Pruitt was 16 years old at the time. And that does seem like it's going to be his next book project, um, and as he talks about here in the beginning of this interview. And Lance, most of this uh, conversation, we talk about the Maura Murray case and sort of uh, characters at the center of some of this uh, this era, I guess this latest era of the case, because at this point it, it kind of has to be broken down in eras. And um, this one would have to be sort of classified as a troll era. I just want to remind everyone, please do not harass anyone. Please do not send any threatening, harassing messages. Please be polite. It is a troll era. But to be clear, these aren't the trolls that, that you can sort of laugh off like some of the trolls that are out there. These are trolls that have taken that practice to new heights or I guess new depths. Very interesting to hear James's take on it. And what it's done, what toll it's taken on his life and, and his work and Mora's disappearance in general and specifically. And I think it's possible that some of this trolling does have case implications. And that's why it is important to follow through with these things, uh, which you'll see in this conversation. Things are being followed through right now regarding this trolling, which is a very good twist in the case. Right. And just like everything else that we have covered on the podcast in regards to her disappearance, if we're talking about a situation, a circumstance, a person, we've always said that we approach it trying to figure out a way to rule it out. So like you said, with the case implication, it'd be great to try to rule out some of these intentions. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoy this episode. Check out the show notes for links to Renner's work. And thank you very much for listening. Before we get to the interview, Tim, what are you doing on June 17th? Thursday. I'm going to be in Saratoga Springs, New York for the Saratoga True Crime Night, Lance. Are you going to be featured along with Josh Hallmark from True Crime Bullshit and DNA specialist Toby Kirschman, the one who worked on the Golden State Killer case? Yeah, and Dr. Christina Lane and Dr. Christopher Kunkel from the Cold Case Analysis Center at the College of St. Rose there in Albany, right near Saratoga Springs. And, of course, Saratoga True Crime Club founder Marcella Hammer, our friend, is uh, going to be hosting this event, Lance. It's going to be a blast. It is going to be a blast. We're very excited about it because we made the decision to not attend CrimeCon this year due to COVID reasons. This will be the first time we're traveling. We can't wait to see people in person. 
again. It is Thursday, June 17th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. There will be dinner, snacks, drinks, great guests. And you can buy your ticket to see us all and interact with us on eventbrite.com and search for Saratoga True Crime Night or click the link in the show notes. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Check out our website at crawlspace-media.com and follow us on social media at MissingCSM. Welcome back to the podcast, James Renner. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it, it seems like this is, you know, we, we need to check in with each other every six months or so to, to catch up on all the weirdness. You're right. We we do always kind of feel the need to um, do, a, do a face-to-face because we, you know, we email or text and uh, just sort of details and, and uh, updates. But right Every six months or so, four to six months, it's just good to even virtually get that face to face, know that everybody is still alive and healthy and, uh, you know, kind of plugging away and, and, and doing uh, doing the best they can. You, sir, look like a million dollars. Oh, come on. Come on. I, you know, that's sweet of you. I've put on, uh, I've got the COVID-20, as they're calling it, um, you know, so uh, I... <laughs> Uh, you know, I got to get out and about and uh, get on a, a good exercise routine. But uh, thank you. I've got the uh, the the cuddly dad sweater going on right now. It's very cuddly. I'm I'm trying to embrace it as as best I can. Well, you're going to CrimeCon next week. You're going to see some of our listeners, of your listeners, and then you're going to CrimeCon in London too, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm excited about this. Yeah. So I'm I'm heading back to Austin. And uh, meeting some folks out there at CrimeCon Austin. And then, yeah, in September, I'll be at uh, CrimeCon UK and uh, hanging out with some uh, some bobbies, uh, taking the taking the lift. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, whatever else they say over there, get some, uh, uh, you know, uh, bangers and mash, some some um, bangers and mash and and some. <laughs> Some fish and chips, mate. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, no, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. I gotta, I, I'll have to, I want to stop by 221B Baker Street, and uh, you know, see where, see where my great great grandfather was solving mysteries. Um, <laughs> so I'm claiming him, by the way. Oh, uh, nice, nice. Right. How come, how come no one knows the address of Watson? Everyone knows Sherlock right. Holmes. What was Watson's address? Good question. Well, we were we were talking before we started this interview. Uh, you had mentioned that you were going to the UK for CrimeCon, but I feel like you're going to do maybe a bookended um, trip where you explore the the city and the culture, and then you do CrimeCon, and then you give yourself a day or two. And the second you said that you had never been there, I just automatically, I've always automatically pictured you there i've pictured you in a trench coat <laughs> walking the streets like in uh with a notebook and a pencil like cat- cataloging stuff uh oh, investigating things it just feels like the uk uh and james renner were meant to be 
Well, you know, I think many people, uh, you know, consider me, uh, you know, when, when they think of me, they think, you know, look, he's, he's either gay or British and I know he's married. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, uh, James, what, uh, what has been going on in your life and your career as far as true crime and the Maura Murray case since we last spoke. I know that could probably fill another book or two, but. Oh my Lord, yes. In yeah. fact, uh, it did fill another book. Um, so I uh, I was working on another project um, that got shut down for COVID last March, uh, March of 2020. And everybody sent home and, and suddenly, you know, I had nothing to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I always wanted to get around to writing a book on the and exploring in greater detail the, the murder of um, Lisa Pruitt, uh, who was a 16 year old young woman who was stabbed to death behind a mansion in Shaker Heights, Ohio in 1990. And so, um, you know, I had thousands of pages of documents I'd never gone through. And I opened it up. And, uh, you know, first of the thing I did was was go to uh, uh, Giant Eagle and pick up a handle of, of vodka after I got back home. Because, you know, honestly, I don't know how you guys felt, but uh, I was not entirely sure that that wasn't the beginning of the end of the world. Like, you know, every, you know, there, there's this virus coming. We don't know how bad it is, but hundreds of thousands of people are dying. They're shutting everything down. Everything was quiet and I was not going to go out sober. So, um, you know, my, my daily routine would be, uh, you know, mixing a drink and then going through these documents. And, um, I quickly uncovered, uh, you know, the, this Lisa Pruitt book, I think the most important thing I've ever written, because I think it's going to, it's, I think it's going to solve. My hope is that it solves a number of cases. I think going through these documents, I uncovered a serial killer, uh, that was operating in Cleveland in the late 80s and 90s that nobody knew about. And so I'm hoping to prove that um, and at the same time, get a guy out of prison who's been sitting there for a couple of these murders that this other person committed. So it's a crazy story. It's also about how a bunch of high school kids hijacked a homicide investigation and um, uh, went after the weird kid in school uh, pointing the finger at him and there was no evidence linking him to the crime at all. Um, but he was, he wore dark clothes and played D and D. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of modern day crucible too. So yeah, that's, that, that's been the majority of what I've been working on. And I just submitted the final draft to my agent. We're going to go out, you know, to editors and publishers here soon, tentatively titled little crazy children. Uh, which is from a line from The Crucible that goes something like, we are as we always were in Salem, but now the little crazy children are jangling the keys of the kingdom. So, um, and, and the kids involved with Shaker Heights and what happened there went on and, and became very prominent people, lawyers, uh, one's an, a writer at The New Yorker right now. Um, so uh, it'll be it'll be a wild book. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the other project I had was uh, developing a TV show for Fox based on a, an article I wrote about genetic genealogy. And it's the first time I've developed a show that made it all the way to pilot. 
and they shot the pilot in, in New Orleans in uh, January, uh, starring Melissa Leo and Tate Donovan. Um, and I got to meet them all um, a while back. And, uh, you know, they, long story short, Fox passed on it. So now we're back to square one. But that happens all the time. Um, you know, when you're, you know, I'm just lucky enough that they keep um, hiring me to develop these, these stories, um, even if they're never, <laughs> if they never make it to air. You know, the uh, probability of getting a show on the air is just astronomically stupid. You know, they'll, they'll pay for, you know, let's say a hundred shows to be developed and they'll send like five to shoot a pilot and two out of those five will make it on air. So that's, those are the odds you're dealing with. Well, well, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that you can't do 12 episodes of a podcast and then immediately have a TV show based on that podcast hit the air in an NBC affiliate uh, network? (laughs) That's not that's not something that happens every every single time out of the gate. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently wow. not. <laughs> Weird. Okay, so exciting stuff. Fox obviously has no taste if they passed on your pilot. So Crawl Space Media, um, our television div- division, our television division will uh, will happily take a look at that pilot and uh, provide you with a handsome budget for a, uh, a five season deal. Let's let's uh, do this. Let's do this. Have your people talk to my people. We'll we'll work this out. They're doing it right now. I just sent him a text message right. while in mid sentence. Um, but the Lisa Pruitt uh, murder, this Lisa Pruitt mystery, you can get more info on this at your website, lisapruittmystery.com. That's your website where you have compiled all the information uh, for the most part. Yep. How frustrating is this to you? This is a fresh, this is like ridiculously layered. It is. It's a, uh, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's remained unsolved for so long, because it's the most twisty mystery that I've ever worked on. Um, because you've got in this thing, you've got people that are muddying the waters with false confessions that put them in prison. And, um, you know, everybody's acting crazy. The, the kids taking over the investigation and pointing to the weird kid in school, just, you know, it, it's, 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 I've never worked on anything quite as convoluted and, and twisty as this. It's it's like, um, you know, I, I keep thinking of that line from Knives Out where, you know, he's he's like, it's a donut inside a donut hole inside another donut, you know, and that's that's kind of what it what it feels like. Um, but, uh, you know, once once you map it all out, it's pretty obvious what happened. So. I'm I'm looking forward to 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 the effect it might have on these cases. Specifically with Lisa Pruitt, when you were looking into this murder, did you realize that you've bitten off more than you can chew? Did you ever think that? And and at what point? There's a very specific moment when researching this case, um, and because it's just it was such a cliche investigator moment that I didn't think ever happened uh, outside of movies. But I had just kind of figured out that there's a guy sitting in prison who shouldn't be there. And I mailed him a letter. And a couple days later, I get a phone call. And it's not from him. It's from a detective that worked the case. And he's like, I hear you're looking into the 
the uh, the Porter's murders, the murders of Philip and Dorothy Porter. I think you should just leave it alone. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> like, who, who is this? And he introduced himself as uh, Detective Doyle, um, the guy that worked the uh, the case and got this guy to confess, which I think is a false confession. And I think he he has the same concern at this point. Um, and he said, uh, he's like, you know, I don't mind you looking into unsolved mysteries, but this one's solved and you should leave it alone. And uh, he's like, are you the James Renner that lives in Wadsworth? Or are you the James Renner that lives in Akron? And I'm like, that kind of sounds like a threat. He's like, no, no threat, man. You know, I just want to know who I'm dealing with. And uh, so that was like, I'm like, oh my God, what did I step in? And, uh, and sure enough, like there's just, uh, you know, the, the detective in that case is uh, trying to get this guy to confess to other murders that happened when he was like 13 and had no connection to. And every time he gives him a little tidbit, the detective puts some money on his prison account so he can have, so it can be a little more comfortable for him in there. Um, so it's, it's messed up. And speaking of twisty mysteries, James Renner, you're no stranger to them, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, you know, you, you could be talking about a number of things. Um, but yeah, no, you want to, should we get caught up on the, the craziness that is the Maura Murray case? Let's do it. Oh, my Lord. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the big, I, to me, you know the big inf the big thing that 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 has come out of the last couple months is um, this guy who goes by the name Folk. Uh, this is somebody that's that's kind of in the past trolled. Uh, I think all of us, um, and you know we've dealt with this a lot with the Maury Murray case. And for once, we have somebody who has had a crisis of conscience and has come forward and admitted to some of the stuff that they were doing behind the scenes. Um, and I think, have, have you guys talked about that? Have we talked about that fake tip that came in last fall before? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it did come up. I think your last appearance last summer, August of 2020. That took everything up another notch. You know, you had, it was so elaborately orchestrated and, and, and this idea that um, the plan was to get me to write something on my blog that was untrue, to report on something that was untrue so that, um, so that the people involved could then come back and sue me for defamation and, uh, and destroy my credibility that way. So um, they used, uh, luckily I didn't print the story, but they used um, a fake phone number. They used real names of people who were students at UMass at the time um, and even verified their birth dates, used their exact birth dates so that when I did my research, it would all come back as, as clear. Um, they pretended to be um, this other person who went to UMass, this story about how they bumped into Aaron Larkin uh, at a pizza shop and uh, the day of the disappearance, and she was probably with Maura Murray was the story that they were telling. And... Uh, so um, they even, I spoke to the guy on the phone from a, a fake phone number out of Massachusetts that all looked legit too. Um, so everything was kind of 
being verified, but I still had this, I just had a weird feeling about it that I should wait, you know, another day or two. That's enough. That was enough verification that, that some newspapers, big legitimate newspapers would have run that story. So, uh, but I didn't. And um, I sent the information to Chuck West at uh, the cold case unit in New Hampshire. And he called that number back and spoke to the guy. And apparently when the detective got involved, it all fell apart because the guy admitted um, that, uh, that it was all a hoax. And what West didn't know at the time uh, was that um, the person that he was speaking to was actually this guy who goes by the name Folk, this, this online provocateur. And uh, so um, all I knew was that it was a hoax. And then uh, it kind of started coming out that Folk must have been involved directly um, in like February, this news started coming out. And then he came forward and admitted, yes, it was me, but not just me, it was me and Aaron Larkin. Um, and he provided um, text messages between, uh, or Facebook messages between him and, and Aaron Larkin, you know, who's presented herself in the past as um, an advocate for the Murray family um, and ran a, um, a podcast and a, and, a, and a blog about it. But, um, you know, she's helping him create this elaborate ruse um, by sending him pictures of herself. She's where she's wearing this uh, UMass sweatshirt that he wants to describe as, as something she was wearing that day. So she was very much um, a participant in this, in this hoax. Can I interrupt you real quick with a question? Um, these photos that you're mentioning, you've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, um, in fact, if you go to my website on the more Murray case, more Murray mystery.com, uh, there's a link where you can see all the messages back and forth and you can see these pictures that she took, uh, of herself to give to, um, folk so that he could describe her accurately. And they're kind of joking around about it. She says at one point, you know, maybe, maybe this is how I take down that, uh, meaning me. Um, so, you know, it's very, very hostile, um, very weird. Uh, and when all this finally broke, I decided to drive out to Massachusetts to speak to folk directly because he lives out there. Uh, he actually lives in um, not far from where um, Maury Murray grew up, but um, I don't think they knew each other ever. But uh, and he was a former attorney himself. So I came out and spoke to him and so I could see the evidence directly. And so I could make him pull up Facebook uh, on his phone to show me that, yes, in fact, these aren't Photoshop. These were conversations that actually happened. I think we all had a hunch that Aaron was involved in, in some way. And it, it kind of provided the, the proof for that. Shortly thereafter, she deleted all social media or not deleted, but unpublished social media accounts and then republished, put them private. And then um, her website now um, is, there's hardly anything there. Uh, she also tried to get my website shut down after I reported on it, claiming, you know, making a bogus copyright claim. So I had to deal with that. The, the website was down for about two or three weeks. You know, it was unsupported. So the website's back up now, but it's just been a, it's just been a pain you know, annoying more than anything. 
But th there is one one good thing that's come out of the last few months is, um, and you know, I know there's a couple other things to talk about with the, the tech stuff, but the one good thing that's come out is, so I've been speaking to Amanda Knox, you know, of the, you know, the, the, the famous case out of Italy where, where this young woman, her uh, friend was murdered when she was studying abroad and she ended up in an Italian prison for like four years. She now runs a podcast called uh, Labyrinths and um, she's been putting together an episode with Julie Murray on uh, you know what it's like to be at the center of media attention for a big case like that, and and dealing with uh, journalists, and uh, you know so uh, she interviewed Julie first, and then she interviewed me. I talked to her for about five hours. Um, long story short, she she ends up bringing Julie and I together, and uh, and speaking uh, you know through this case and through our issues with each other, uh, and since then I've had direct contact. Um, you know, a line of communication with, with Julie Murray, uh, which I never thought would have been possible. So um, I'm now, you know, sending Julie information on the case uh, as it comes in. Um, and, you know, she responds and, you know, uh, is thankful for, for what's been provided. And, you know, specifically, she, she wanted uh, me and I believe you guys too, to give her any information on any of this, uh, this trolling uh, online stuff that every everybody has seen escalate in the last couple of years. Okay, and that's going to be a pretty interesting conversation, but I want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. You brought up Amanda Knox in a very um, nonchalant type of manner. Um, that's <laughs> sort of big. That's sort of big news, and and Amanda Knox being the bridge between you and Julie Murray, and now there's a relationship there that is a productive, respectful relationship, which is different from the past. I feel like some of the cobwebs have kind of been cleaned off, and now the the the, the reality of the situation is more present and visible. Um, how did Amanda Knox even get into this conversation in the first place? Was it simply because of... Uh, she was interested in, in Mora's disappearance. Can you give a little bit of uh, history there? Well, I think, I think to an extent we have to thank Bill Rauch for this uh, because um, Bill Rauch has been uh, trying his hardest to get uh, other newspapers and other media personalities to cover me in, in the way that I'm this out of control journalist who must be stopped, um, who's ruining his reputation, not so much the five women that are alleging everything from harassment to attempted rape, but uh, the coverage of it. So um, he started, he and Aaron started tagging um, Amanda Knox on a bunch of tweets uh, last summer, you know, saying, hey, you should, you should go after Renner. Um, I don't think they expected her to be, um, apparently they, they, they didn't expect her to be as savvy and intelligent as she is and want to get the real story. You know, she's real close with John Ronson, who, you know, no matter what he covers is sympathetic to all sides. So that's kind of where she's coming from. Um, and I reached out to her then. I'm like, hey, sorry, you're dealing with these a-holes. Um, and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you reaching out. And and then she got back in touch in, uh, I think it was January, February. And it's like, hey, I, I've decided to do this story. Um, I'm going to try and be, you know, level-headed and, you know, um, open to all sides. And do you want to talk? And uh, 
uh, so I decided to talk to her and, um, you know, we had a, I, I remember our first conversation, it was a little over an hour, I think. Um, and she was, um, you know, definitely cold at, at the, at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, but by the end, you know, she's, she's saying, Hey, you know, look, I had a, I had a totally different picture of you. And after speaking to you, you know, I, I've, you know, I can tell, um, that, uh, that I was wrong about some of that, uh, you know, and, you know, hearing from other people. So, you know, I, and which is why I like things like CrimeCon when you can go out and meet people in person and, and, you know, they've built up this idea of you based on comments that other people have made on the internet that are untrue. And, you know, once I, I, I just think if you can sit down and, you know, or, or even zoom face to face with somebody, um, you know, I, I think they can tell your, your true intentions a lot better. And then, you know, so you've got the, uh, another thing with that crazy hoax um, is that it directly impacted the Maura Murray case. Folk at the, at the same time he was doing this hoax with Aaron was working with Aaron to draft um, the, these uh, motions in New Hampshire to get uh, the police to release photographs from the crime scene that that the Murrays have always wanted and in their denial in their their motion against this anyways Chuck West specifically cites this hoax as one of the reasons not to release these pictures because look look how crazy it is online if we release these pictures it's just going to feed the frenzy um, and and hurt the case there you know that's one of the reasons those those pictures were not released to the family so you've got you've got these people that are that are directly impact impacting the, the the case itself, which is which is not good. And I just want to be clear about Larkin that she was actually at UMass with Maura Murray at the same time. Um, I'm only saying this for context. She's in her own words a teammate of Maura Murray. I mean, she she was. You can that's obviously verifiable. Right, and she's uh, you know, she's gotten very close um, in this investigation now, um, where she's being called as a witness in Bill Roush's, uh, you know, protection order hearings and appearing there, you know, sitting next to his mother. Another thing that came out of folks' um, conversations and and what he's been sharing with everybody is apparently there was an incident where Aaron met with Bill Roush at a bar in D.C. and while there he was sending her or or around that same time had been sending her lewd uh text messages which is kind of his mo um these other women that have come forward complaining about him usually talk about meeting at at bars and then while they're there sitting you know they're usually with other people he presents you know as this you know affable person uh but at the same time he's he's texting them you know they're a foot away from him and he's texting hey you know, you want to, you want to come back to my place. You want to, you know, I mean, straight out, Hey, you want to type stuff. So apparently that night he was with, um, uh, or around the same time he had brought a friend of his to the bar as well. And the thing to remember, you know, that I I mentioned friend, and I want to be careful not to name this person because he's, he's not charged with anything at the moment, but this friend, uh, knew Bill Roush from West point and, According to the information that came out at his protection order hearing when his girlfriend sued him for um, stalking behavior, uh, wanted to get away from him, 
Um, this friend was involved in that too. And uh, she alleges that he would pay her to have sex with his friend. And so this is the person he brought to the bar to meet with Aaron. Um, she ends up calling Scott Wall of all people um, to come and uh, he meets them right as Bill's trying to get her, get Aaron to head back with them, interrupts it and, you know, takes Aaron to safety or whatever. Every step of the way, this person is inserting themselves into the case and with the people that are, that are involved with it, with the family, with the, with the ex-boyfriend who's facing felony charges in DC. So it's a, you know, it's a mess crazy stuff. Uh, and, and then, you know, I've got things like, you know, folks sharing me texts with Scott wall where he's threatening my wife. And there was some, uh, contact, some sort of private contact between wall and Larkin and Sharon Roush, Bill's, Bill's mom, as you had, uh, mentioned a little bit earlier in that, that she was in court with, uh, with Aaron sitting there with Aaron. Right. I mean, I mean, so much has come out in the last few months. We, we haven't, I don't know if we've even talked about how Sharon was also behind some fake accounts that uh, were were trying to steer the narrative of of this case, going back to like months or a year after Moore disappeared. Um, Sharon Roush, the mother of Moore's boyfriend, is online using fake accounts and names to to kind of play with the people online that were looking into this case. Yeah, as Peabody on Web Sleuths starting back in December of 2004. And a lot of the comments she makes do seem on the level, but there are a few that raise your eyebrows a bit and you wonder what she's uh, where she's going with that. Anything that's that jumps out at you that you can quote? I'd have to have it in front of me, but um, in looking back at some of the things she said, there's a, an article in which Sharon Rausch says that their love continued to grow and it had taken on a special glow in January of 2004 when I last saw her, I as in Sharon. Oh, right. When anybody says a young woman has a special glow, the immediate thing that you think of is, is pregnancy, you know? And maybe if, if people were aware that she was pregnant, which is what the lead detective in the case still thinks to this day, if she had shared that with, you know, uh, a couple people, that might explain how quickly they were to mobilize and and treat her disappearance with, you know, such, uh, you know, uh, you, because this is a young woman um, who disappears, there's no sign of a foul play. And yet, everybody treats it immediately um, as a as a crazy, you know, possible murder or, or what, but so that might have ratcheted up everybody's fear. And here, Sharon Rausch on Twitter as Carlo DeWitt. She says, any online investigator that believes they are going to solve MM case is truly addled. I just don't understand how how someone who knew more Amarik would, would talk about people who are who earnestly devote their time to trying to help. Yeah. Oh, one other thing that, that's worth mentioning here is, uh, so um, it came out that... Uh, a little background here for people that, that, that are just catching up. But so Bill Roush was more Murray's boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. He's facing felony sexual abuse charges in DC. 
at the moment, the, the, the next hearing is in September. It keeps getting delayed because of COVID. But one thing that happened during the time he's been charged with that is his girlfriend, you know, who he was seeing when he was married, came out and uh, asked the court to give her a protection order um, because Bill was stalking her and uh, and wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, and it had, it, she claims had also uh, beat her repeatedly and would um, have her play role play as Maura Murray so that he could choke her. Um, so uh, crazy stuff there too. Um, but uh, so she's he's still under a protection order for that case. It seems um, that the victim in that case has asked for an extension of the protection order because she believes Aaron Larkin violated the protection order by contacting her on his behalf, um, asking for uh, this victim to return a Tiffany necklace that he gave to her as a present. So what is she doing inserting herself into this protection order case too? I want to read a little bit, you know, so this is Aaron posted a series of pictures with the victim on social media and uh, violating her privacy and identifying her, um, you know, for people that that could have put two and two together. And uh, so this woman's lawyers reached out to Aaron and said, hey, please take these pictures down. This is just traumatizing this victim further. And here's what she wrote back uh, to the and this is on my website too. This is Aaron's email to um, the victim's lawyer. Uh, I am sympathetic to uh, your desire not to be involved in any discussion about Maura Murray. However, as, as the victim was acutely aware by contacting Mr. Renner, she was inserting herself into Maura's case. The victim came to me because she thought she was going to disappear like Maura Murray and she wanted somebody to cover the what was going on. And while it was your client's choice to insert herself in the case, she is hardly only the only one to have suffered as a result of that decision. So I respectfully declined to remove the tweet you specified in your email. And unless and until your, your client finds a way to set the record straight, I will continue to defend myself when presented with questions and or accusations. Thank you. P.S. I want to be very clear that in no way did Mr. Roush request or instruct me to communicate or otherwise reach out to you? But since you contacted me, I thought I would mention that on several occasions recently, he expressed his desire for the Tiffany necklace with an elephant pendant to be returned to him. Please tell her that she can mail it directly to me at, and then she gives her address in, um, in DC. So she's belittling this, uh, this victim of Roush's taunting her with these, these social media posts and then saying, oh yeah, and if you want, uh, you, can, you can send that necklace to me. And this is, a, you know, this is somebody that presented themselves as an, as an advocate for uh, the Murray family, um, hope, which hopefully won't happen again. You know, I think throughout this, this year, we're going to get some, some sort of information. You know, uh, folk is still sharing stuff about um, Scott Wall and Aaron Larkin, but at the same time, there is this approaching trial in September. So, you know, I think things will start being made public through court filings and the hearings that'll go on with with that. And and then that that victim in the um, assault that took place in 2011 can finally tell her side of the story.
And Bill Roush uh, did tell us that Maura Murray's name is going to come up in this uh, this upcoming trial. Oh, yeah. Don't know how or why uh, that would be, but that's what he told us. Yeah. You know, going back to, you know, I there's all this drama and craziness, but, you know, the, the you get, I think it's important to go back to the main question is what the heck happened to, to Maura Murray and what this has to do with, with any of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think what Julie expressed to me was that, um, she's very interested in the trolling now that, that, and, and the crazy stuff that's been going on behind the scenes, because, you know, this has been going on from the very beginning and perhaps the person that is, I guess, quote unquote, the mastermind behind, uh, the online stuff, maybe they had something to do with what happened to Mora. So Julie's open to that idea and, and trying to figure out, you know, who's really been behind uh, the crazier stuff that's happened. And I, I apologize if I missed this, but uh, you said that Julie is open to uh, considering that concept that some that some people or someone who was part of the trolling might have had something to do with Maura's disappearance. Do you also feel that way? And is law enforcement aware of Julie's feelings? I think law enforcement's definitely aware. She she compiled all that data that that I gave her, that you gave her, that other people gave her and presented it to the attorney general's office and the cold case unit. So I feel like they're they're actively looking into it and trying to kind of figure it all out um, and figure out if it's a couple people being weird or if it's one person that's that's kind of been making a mess of this case from the beginning and and why. What could possibly happen as a repercussion legally to somebody doing something like this? Well, I think if they're able to identify specific instances uh, and link it to to real people, um, you know, I, I absolutely think they're at the point now that they would charge uh, people with, I, I guess it would be interfering with an investigation or obstruction of justice or something. Um, there's also been rumors of um, illegal wiretaps <laughs> of all things uh, in this case. Um, Folk believes that uh, there's uh, audio. Folk, so Folk has heard this. Uh, The captain from True Crime Garage has heard this. There exists a recording of Chuck West uh, talking about Maura Murray's case and the details about the case. Uh, The big question is when he was recorded was he aware that he was being recorded and that this uh, recording would be released to um, other people, including podcasters? Did you say you've heard it or you've only heard people say that they've heard it? I've only heard secondhand um, from both Folk and the captain from True Crime Garage, and they both received this recording from Aaron Larkin. Um, The question is whether or not Chuck West was aware that he was being recorded. If he was not aware he was being recorded, then that's a felony in New Hampshire. And to be clear, Chuck West was the head of the New Hampshire cold case unit, and the Maura Murray disappearance was on his, I guess, docket. Um, I don't want to like it. Yeah, it was a case that he was investigating. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't know if he was the head of the unit, um, but yeah, he was definitely. I, I think the head of that investigation of Moore Murray's investigation. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I probably misspoke. But he, if he wasn't the head of the unit, I mean, you're talking about Chuck West. And this is referenced even in Folk's filing. Erin Larkin provides an affidavit in that case where she talks about uh, having a source, 
quote-unquote source um, and that uh, talks about these photographs. Um, and uh, uh, she quotes Chuck West verbatim in that. And I believe that that, uh, that quote comes directly from this audio recording. And obviously there'd be some details in there that West and the detectives and state police don't want out there, don't want shared with podcasters. Um, because even if they were aware it was recorded, it was a private conversation. So, um, so at this point, um, you know, we're trying to get a copy of that recording to find out for sure. Who's, who's we? Folk believes that he can, um, that he has a, that he has a copy. So we're trying to, we're trying to get the copy from, from Folk. Uh, makes me want to scratch my head and wonder where the, uh, where, where the actual like intent is. Yeah. And, and what's what's happening there in someone's head. So, you know, the the one um, I, 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 you know, people, when they email me, when I meet them, they still ask me what I think happened to Mora. And I still honestly, I still hold out hope that, you know, even after all the stuff that we found out about her boyfriend and, you know, um, the craziness around this case, I still hold out hope that she's alive and that she got away. Um, I think it's becoming more and more unlikely, but just in the past couple months, there's been some significant sightings again that are connected again with this. Uh, over the years, a number of these sightings came in through um, people that have uh, been a part of the 12 tribes, which is this cult uh, throughout New England. Uh, but I think they're headquartered in Vermont or New Hampshire, um, kind of a hippie commune type of you know thing where when you join up, you, you're, you kind of leave your identity behind and you get a new name. And these names are kind of um, old, like Israelite names. And if you remember way back at the beginning, there was a sighting of a woman uh, at a church on Father's Day who kind of looked like Mora, and, but she said her name was Rachel, R-A-Y-K-E-L. And that strikes me as the type of name that you would adopt if you were part of this tribe. But um, I was sent pictures of a woman that was involved with the tribe. Um, so a woman had, had gotten away from it and then sent me pictures of a woman from the group that looks, uh, oh, my God, so much like Maura Murray. And um, I sent that immediately to Cold Case Unit. And I, and I even got an email back that said they were going to, you know, track that down. So you know, at the very least, it's somebody involved with that, that cult that just keeps coming up and up uh, again and again, who looks, she must look a lot like Maura Murray, if it's not, if it's not Maura herself. And this is the same uh, individual whose picture we sent to uh, the super recognizer, Kelly Hearsay, right? Yeah. Right. And how, I forgot about that. Yeah. What, what was the recognizer's uh, response to it? Her response was that she has not seen a match that close, uh, without it being the person in a long time. She, right. she was stunned. She said she had to kind of put, she had to kind of check herself and, yeah. and, and really, really look into it. That gave me some hope when you guys, yeah. when you guys told me that. So it's in, it's in law enforcement's hands. Uh, she checks in with us occasionally to find out what the status is. Mm. And the all, the only thing we can say is that we passed all the information on to law enforcement and you got to wait. And, uh, She's from the from the UK as well, and she's again her reaction. She said she was she had to take a step back and and kind of take a breath and then reapproach it. Yeah, that's wild. 
Yeah, this this uh, this organization, this twelve tribes, they also have you know different communes uh, throughout New England and and I think maybe even into Canada and you know just around the country in general, and they supposedly um, you know will ship people from communes commune to keep them hidden if they if they wish to be. We've covered a lot of wild stuff here today, as some people would call it some mind shocking developments. <laughs> this is the, the case that never ends. The inspector general uh, of the United States opened up a new investigation uh, on Bill Roush uh, months ago after Bill Roush admitted to you guys and some other people um, that he in fact used fake Twitter accounts to harass me, uh, an American citizen and journalist while he was stationed uh, with the army at Camp Lemonier in East Africa. Um, so, and and during the course of, so the IG started this investigation and re-interviewed people. And during the course of the investigation, a um, couple things, uh, Bill, Bill Roush admitted to them that he did use military hardware and software to stalk me and, and to harass me while he was stationed over there, which, uh, I would think gets you into a little bit of trouble uh, with the with the army um, and the IG. So uh, IG interviewed a lot of people. They also interviewed um, uh, Aaron Larkin, who was uh, apparently uh, less than uh, forthcoming about some some issues there. Um, and uh, so what what we're doing now is is it's just waiting. The investigator finished up his part and has given his recommendation to, I guess, the, the commander. And uh, uh, right now it's just waiting to see what will, what will happen, whether uh, Roush will face any sort of repercussions for uh, that illegal activity. But the Army's its own thing and, uh, and very slow, and, and they're not really anxious to, uh, I think, punish their own. But um, I think in light of everything else that's come out, you know, they're taking a, a, a different look at, at, at uh, Major Roush and maybe don't want him to represent, you know, the, the best the Army can offer anymore. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.